Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn. And I'm Andrea Ballard. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. On today's show, we're continuing our month of puddings and custards with a favorite from the Deep South, banana pudding. We'll also discuss all the dates you see on products these days. Sell by, best by, use by, what does it all mean? We'll also review our bread and butter pudding and see if Irish eyes were smiling on this dessert. So pour yourself a cup of coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Stefan, it is a fabulous week in my house as I am baking up a storm of brownies. Wait, what? I mean, it sounds fabulous, but I thought that you didn't keep those in the house. What's going on? Yeah, so that's why I'm doing them. I had two events that I needed to bring desserts to. So I took this opportunity to bake some brownies so that I could bake them, try them, um, but not have the whole pan in my house. Okay. So I went with two recipes. Um, The first one I had seen popping up on a couple of friends' Facebook feeds or some of the food blogs that I follow, and it was from the New York Times, and it was called New Classic Brownies. Okay. And it's actually a recipe from Alice Medrick. Are you familiar? with her? I don't know Alice. Okay. Alice is a baker. Uh, She is often referred to as the first lady of chocolate. Um, Oh, my goodness. What a title to aspire to. Oh, my gosh. That's her thing. Um, I think the cookbook of hers that I'm most familiar with is called Bittersweet. And she also founded a chain of stores called Chocolate. So I think that's kind of how most people might know her. Oh, I think there's one um, in here in Seattle by Green Lake. Am I thinking of the right place? Yeah, that may be it. Okay, I bet bet that's it. Yeah. And so her recipe was pretty simple. Um, You know, it it had uh, unsweetened chocolate and, you know, a little bit of flour and some eggs and some vanilla, you know, your basic brownie recipe. But I think the thing that made them new classic brownies is that you cook them at high heat, so 400 degrees for 20 minutes, and then you pull them out and you plunge them into an ice bath. Ooh. Yeah. Weird. I've never <laughs> I've never done that. I had never done anything like this. I decided to do the ice bath in my sink because I have a, you know, one of those kind of smaller bar sinks, so it worked really well to just fill up with ice and ice water. Okay. Um because I didn't want it to be too full because I was afraid as I put my pan of brownies in that some of the water might splash over the edges of the pan. Right. Yes. Soggy. That, yeah, that would be a disaster. Definite no-no. Um, So I did that. That worked really well. You know, I was able to do the thing. I followed the instructions. uh, I read the recipe. I did everything as designed. I thought they turned out okay. Um, I wouldn't say that, you know, they rocked my world or anything like that. Um, But, you know, they, they were good. But the whole ice bath thing just sort of felt like, well, that's a whole extra step, and I'm not sure that's really necessary. So a few days later, I needed to bring another brownie recipe. So I went back to good old King Arthur flour. Yes. Quick and easy fudge brownies. Yep. And as you know, I am team fudgy when it comes to the brownies. Here, here. That's right. (laughs) So um, I really like their recipe, and it was so interesting to kind of then compare the two. So... um, Instead of the unsweetened chocolate, the King Arthur flour uses cocoa powder. 
Okay. Unsweetened right. cocoa powder. Yep. Um, it used double the amount of sugar as the uh, other recipe. Right and it, on. it had a quarter cup of vegetable oil, which I think oh. maybe leads to some of that, you know, fudginess. Right. <clears throat> and it had one extra egg. Mm. Yeah. So on this particular recipe, I even read some of the comments and I saw a couple of people had said that it was overcooked and they were really disappointed in that because, you know, especially if you're trying to make a fudgy brownie, that yeah. would be kind of upsetting. So and I saw it that was from dried, was dried out. Was that there? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And Ugh. I saw that from more than one reviewer. So I thought, well, this, you know, that would not be good. Mm-mm. Um, And so I I thought I followed the recipe exactly and all of the instructions. Um, And so I put them in the oven, and I think it was 20 minutes. It might have been 25. I can't remember. But, you know, I go to pull it out, and it's soup. And I thought, okay, something is wrong here. What did I do wrong? So I looked at the oven, and sure enough, I had accidentally turned the oven off. So... Um, that'll get you every time. (laughs) I have a, I have a timer on my oven, right? Like a kitchen timer. And, um, then I also have a button called cancel off. Well, the cancel off will turn off the timer and the oven at the same time. And I've gotten kind of lazy and I've, I've started using that. And so when I should just press the timer button again to just turn the timer off. So I was using the timer for something else, unbrownie related. And what happened was the timer went off, but I accidentally hit cancel off. So who knows what the temperature was when I put the brownies in, but I baked them for 20 or 25 minutes at this lower temperature. I think it was actually around 275 because when I turned the oven back on, you know, that's where it started. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So then I thought, what am I going to do? So I baked it. I didn't even pull them out. I didn't let it re-preheat back up to 350. I just baked it for another 15 minutes at this, you know, unknown temperature, (laughs) this rising temperature. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, warm. And it did reach 350 about, you know, whatever, five, 10 minutes in. So anyway, they turned out fabulous. See, way to make that way to make that fail into a total success too, right? I know, but it's so funny. I thought, you know, I can't recreate this. I mean, it was a total mistake, but it was just interesting to think maybe, you know, the people who had the overcooked, this actually solved that problem. But I'll have to I'll have to try and make it one time the it's way you're supposed to. That that your issue was the 180 of what the other people were saying, I know. right? Like, <laughs> I know. You can imagine my face. I'm pulling him out and I'm thinking, oh, please don't be overcooked. Please don't be overcooked. And I'm like, why is everything moving? <laughs> what, what's going on here? The opposite of cooked, raw. Yeah. 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 So that was Adventures in Brownie Land this week for me. I love it. You know, um, speaking of brownies, Andrea, did you see the cutest, certainly our youngest Facebook fan yet, uh, loyal listener Carolyn, her son made the chocolate chess pie a few weeks ago, and there was just an adorable picture of him. He was so proud of his pie, and... I just feel for anyone who's still on the fence about making a pie, you have got to catch up to a four-year-old now. So <laughs> no pressure. You you can do it. You really can. Like someone who hasn't even started kindergarten has made this pie. So I, I loved, loved it. I loved his face. You could tell proud is the right word. You could tell that he was so proud of his pie. And I just thought it was the sweetest post. I think I saw listener Dana posted um, – 
a chocolate chess pie on pie day. So I don't know if she used our recipe, but I thought, here we go. We've got a couple of people going on the chocolate chess train. So she, I saw that too. And she had that really pretty dish. It looked so beautiful mm-hmm. with her with her pie, with the brown chocolate pie. And yeah, I know. This is this is the this is the recipe. And it's just so easy, you know, mm-hmm. to, to pick it up and do it. Clearly even a four year old can make this pie. So I loved that post. Thank you to Carolyn for putting that up there. Yeah, thank you, Carolyn. Um, also, for those of you who like podcasts, we wanted to talk a little bit about some other podcasts. So um, last week, I was interviewed by the folks over at a podcast called Little Red Bandwagon. And this is really a niche podcast in that it is a podcast about another podcast. Right. So the other podcast is called Too Beautiful to Live. And I think it's been around for about, I don't know, eight or 10 years. And it's two guys, early 40s, talking about the mundane trivia of their life. And I absolutely love it. But I don't understand a lot of it because they've been friends for so long and they often talk about things that old friends talk about. And I'll be scratching my head thinking, what the heck are they talking about? So Little Red Bandwagon came along and they are happy to explain what the guys are talking about or thinking or how it relates to things from the past. And I was interviewed by Anne Lundholm. And listeners, you might remember her from episode six of Preheated. She is... A baker in Minneapolis, um, baking from the Stick of Butter Stick of Butter Studios, one of my favorite names, and um, so she interviewed me along with Christy Wise, another one of the Little Red Bandwagon hosts, and um, I had mentioned at the start of that interview, and that's episode two hundred one of Little Red Bandwagon. By the way, I had mentioned at the start of that interview that I was making these brownies that were supposed to be life changing. Those were the first recipe that I talked about, that Alice Medrick um, recipe, because okay. that that's how it showed up in my Facebook feed. Is people were saying, "Oh my gosh, these brownies will change your life," and I am a sucker for any thing that will change my life. Like (laughs) new brownie recipe, new method to clean your toilet, you know, new way to organize your sock drawer. I I am there. Clickbait on those things every time. And, you know, I like my life. I it's not that I I think it's bad and it needs to be changed because I'm so miserable. I just think, wow, if this could make it better, um, you know, why not? Bowl of brownies. (laughs) Let's go. I loved listening to that interview. And I felt I felt like a celebrity because at one point <laughs> Anne and Christy were saying, well, Anne, I believe it was Anne, and she said, well, I'm more of a Stefan in the kitchen. I was like, oh, my God, this is like a BuzzFeed quiz. Like, <laughs> it was like a what Sex in the City character are you? You know, what friend are you? What preheated host are you? I just felt like we'd arrived. It was great. It was so wonderful to listen to. I had that same feeling. And I also appreciated, and I didn't say this in the interview, but Anne made the comment that she listens to Preheated when she's shopping on her Tuesday night grocery store runs. And I thought that was interesting because I um, have often seen people in the grocery store with headphones in. Mm -hmm. And I have to admit, I often thought like, Wow, what's going on there? Like, wh- what mm-hmm. is it that they're, you know, I, I, I think I might have thought they were on a phone conversation. And yeah. I kind of thought, like, how can you talk on the phone and grocery shop? But now that I thought, oh, you could listen to a podcast while you're grocery shopping, I'm not sure I'm going to do it because many of the podcasts that I listen to make me laugh or cry. And so I don't yeah. want to be that crazy lady in the grocery store. Yeah, yeah. But um, speaking of podcasts, March is something called 
Tripod Month. That's and right. so a lot of podcasts are promoting um, other podcasts. And if you have a Twitter account and you would like to help us out, we would love it if you would give us a brief shout out for the preheated podcast and then just tag it with Tripod. And that's T-R-Y-P-O-D. And that will help other people find us. So we'll get other great listeners on our Facebook page, and we can have some um, more interesting conversations with people and see what you guys are doing in your kitchens. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I have a few favorite podcasts as well. I feel like it really speaks to my fairly schizophrenic personality when you look at that list we have. (laughs) On our uh, website that lists the different podcasts we listen to, um, one that I love is called Call Your Girlfriend, and it is, uh, quote, two long-distance besties, and they call each other every week. And that's that's kind of a format that that we've adopted as well. Um, and they, they talk mostly uh, about what's going on in their lives and in, in the news and – I really enjoy that one. And shout out to one of my long distance besties, loyal listener Solvay, who turned me on to that a long time ago now. Um, but then I also love this Civil War history podcast that is that is these these two folks in Colorado who have the most thorough historical education about the Civil War. And I'm a history person and I, I find it completely fascinating. To give you some perspective, I believe I'm on episode 75 and the war hasn't started yet. So, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so they are diving deep, to say the least. Super deep dive. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, and you know, it, I think podcasts are wonderful because whatever you're interested in, I guarantee there's something out there for you. And That's true. And, um, you know, that's one reason we started this one, um, that we couldn't find a lot of, of baking uh, things that that, that uh, were out there. So um, now there is. And, um, of course, first and foremost, we hope you're tuning in to, to Preheated. But um, shout out during Tripod Month for all of these great, great podcasts that are out there and our fellow sisters and brothers in the in the recording trenches as it is. So Podcast universe, yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention about podcast and specifically preheated, I did have a long drive recently. My daughter was with me, and so I forced her to listen to my LRB interview, um, which, you know, she was really felt that was a long-suffering duty for <laughs> a daughter to listen to her mother's just, interview about some nothing we do is talk. ever cool enough right like <laughs> no uh, but she was so sweet she pac- patiently did listen to it and um when it was over i said what do you think and she said well you know mommy um your friends and i love that she she calls everyone who i listen to on my podcast my friends there you, you know, go. Which is, it's true you do feel that way about people yeah. after a while even if you've never met them she said you know your friends were talking about how much you loved they love the name preheated and you said that stefan had come up with that and what were the other names you guys thought of and i was like oh my gosh that's a really good question so uh i went back and looked from <laughs> our, our brainstorming session at some of our old titles and Stefan, I was cracking up. There's um, no bad ideas in brainstorming. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's that's actually the thing that I wanted to mention. I was teaching a class last week wearing my regular work hat, and one of the things I was talking about with brainstorming is how a lot of studies show that your best ideas don't come until number eight. And so I <gasps> Which pulled one was up- preheated. <clears throat> okay. Get ready. I pulled up our list. Here's our here's our um, brainstorming. 
Number one, The Sweet Scoop. Number two, Dessert Divas. Number three, Sweet Dreams. Number four, Sweet Tooth Sisters. Number five, Dishing with Andrea and Stefan. Number six, In the Kitchen with Andrea and Stefan. I think those two were mine, by the way. <laughs> number, <laughs> number seven, Baking Buddies. Number eight, Preheated. I hit it exactly. Yep. Oh, my yep. gosh. Wow. Wow. Well, yeah. here it is. I love preheated too. And, you know, not to like ring our own bell, but um, Gretchen Rubin, who many people know from the Happiness Project, and she also has a great uh, podcast called Happier. You had emailed her to let her know about preheated. And what yes. did she say back? She's like, love that title. Yes. So yes. I know Gretchen Rubin has patted us on the back. It yes. feels and really good. I think it also shows, again, a great aspect of our Stefan personality and our Andrea personality, which Stefan comes up with the creative, and I am the literal in the kitchen <laughs> with Andrea and Stefan. <laughs> well, what's this podcast about, Andrea? <laughs> I think it's pretty obvious. <laughs> All right. Well, hilarious. Let's get to some recipes. Are you ready? Ooh, I yeah. I'm ready. We are going to talk about our bread and butter pudding from Clota McKenna. Oh. Um, the actual name of it, which is just fascinating, Clota McKenna's Bread and Butter Pudding with Whiskey Salted Caramel Sauce. Um, I mean... Come yeah. on. <laughs> so already with the title, we're pretty excited. I was excited about this recipe because I had mentioned way back in episode zero or episode one that one of my favorite desserts is bread pudding. Yep. And I grew up eating a lot of bread pudding in New Orleans. They've really got it down there. There's almost always um, stale French bread lying about because you usually buy a whole loaf and you know you wouldn't typically maybe use the whole loaf. And so you've got this amazing French bread. And, you know, you can use it into bread pudding the next day. Yeah. How did you find this particular recipe and why did you pick this one? So this originally came from the December 2015 issue, or sorry, September 2015 issue of Better Homes and Gardens magazine. Mm. And I was immediately drawn to the quantity of butter, cream, and egg, as well as whiskey. So... <laughs> tore that one right out. And then when I knew we were doing this, um, I really also liked the caramel sauce that was in this recipe. And indeed, uh, that I think really added a, a nice touch to this bread and butter pudding. Mm -hmm. I, I thought it would be great for St. Patrick's Day. Also, yes. if people ended up making it for that. Um, yeah. And then it was just it was just had some things that were a little different. Right. Yeah. So um, buttering both sides of the bread before putting it in the dish and doing the doing the water bath and then that salted caramel uh, sauce at the end. For me, Andrea, this recipe was a huge win. It was really delicious. And I did end up using those flame raisins we had talked about um, last episode, they're a little plumper, a little bit bigger. I think they have a better flavor in general than just your sun-made dried raisin. And one thing I would say is that um, tuck them in uh, really deep into mm. the bread because anything that's kind of sitting on top is going to get burnt. And, of course, that's not appetizing um, no. at all. <laughs> so <laughs> Just because they're called flame, they do not appreciate it. <laughs> they they don't need singed. to erupt into flame. That's that's right. Um, so, uh, Cloda, um at the uh, the magazine tear sheet that I'm looking at right now, you know, at the end of the recipe, they have the nutrition facts, and it will say, you know, each serving has this many calories and this much fat. And what I've done is cross it out and write in big block letters, ignore. So, <laughs> <laughs> wow, 
Well, I really appreciate that because as you know from my panicked text I sent you, I I normally take recipes and do this little nifty import feature and put them into that app I've mentioned that I use called AnyList. Um, yeah. For some reason, I had printed this one out. And I got to the grocery store and the way the numbers printed out, I, I thought there was a typo because for the recipe, it has three and a half sticks of butter, but it didn't do the half like a little one slash two. It did it the same um, size as the three. So I was like 31 slash two. <laughs> and I, you know, I thought, well, clearly it's not 31 sticks of butter. But then I thought, well, obviously it's not three and a half. This only serves six. So I sent Stefan this frantic text, like, is this a typo? <laughs> and what did you uh-huh. write back to me? Um, I said, I think it was just one word. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yep. Just go with it. Yeah, no, or no typo. I meant no. Word. Yes, that right. is correct. Yeah. That is correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. But toward that point, I did not end up using all of that butter. Uh, I You're using the majority, three-quarter of a pound um, or three-quarter of a cup for uh, buttering the bread, the sliced bread. And I felt my bread was very heartily sliced, very slathered, and uh, I could not use up all that butter. So um, no, I, 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 I just couldn't. Like, it was, I had nowhere left to put it. So, <laughs> yeah, I definitely did not use all the butter. But I'm curious. I thought I heard you say butter both um, sides of the bread. And I'm looking at the recipe, and it says spread one side of each slice of bread with the butter. So that's what I did. I only buttered one side. I heard myself say that, too. That was an error. Retract. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> well, and right. I, like you're looking for more places to put this butter. That would make sense. You would think it was both sides. No, I did one side and then kind of the top, like the crust a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just checking. Yeah. Because I do think that would get you closer to the three and a half sticks. I think I used about six tablespoons total. Um a couple of other things I did differently. I did this in small ramekins instead of in the big eight and a half square dish. I like doing that when I'm doing things like bread pudding or banana puddings or things. I like having individual servings. I just, I think it helps me personally with portion control. And I also just think it's prettier. You know, sometimes as you start to cut into things like bread puddings and banana puddings, it's like ugh, kind of a big sloppy mess. So I just think the ramekins are super cute. Um, I used, and where it said firm white bread, this is a trick I picked up from listener Craig, who has to do the gluten-free. I used Fran gluten-free white bread. And what I have found with gluten-free bread, when you soak it, it tends to get less soggy than regular bread. And so he had taught me that trick for making French toast. And now I always use gluten-free bread for making French toast because it just doesn't fall apart like regular white bread will do. So what's what's the grain or what, what are they making that with? Uh, if it's not me. wheat, yeah, but it's something. It's something that maybe like a little heartier, right? Like yeah. oat or I don't know mm-hmm. something. Yeah, interesting. I used a, just kind of your classic baguette, and then I we had some for dinner, and then I left it out and used it um, the next day because you want it okay. to be you want it to be a little stale, a little dry, so that mm-hmm. it soaks up that liquid. Yeah, I I did find the flame raisins that you had recommended. They had them at my co op, um, but right next to them were the golden raisins, and then they had put this extra label on the golden raisins. I should have taken a picture of it. It said something like 
Himalayan sweet golden. I don't know. It had like five <laughs> five words, and I thought to myself, maybe I just haven't given raisins a fair shake. Mm-hmm. That's because mm-hmm. that sounded so good, right? So I did um, get that. Of course, I got everything at my co op. You know, the gluten free bread, the special raisins, the eggs, all that kind of stuff. But they didn't have Jameson's, and so I had to go to the regular grocery store. And once again, you know, I'm going through the quick checkout line at you know <laughs> nine thirty on a Tuesday morning buying a bottle of Jameson. So thank you, Stefan. <laughs> I felt the judgment from the checker. So when I went to buy mine, at first I was like, I'll just get the little airplane bottle, you know, because it oh, only calls it only I- calls for um half a cup. And but then I am literally having a crisis of conscience in the liquor store and I'm thinking that's gonna seem more suspicious. So then <laughs> So I ended oh up buying the bigger one. And again, yeah. I went through my whole spiel and the guy could not have cared less. And uh, um, so. anyway, now now we have that. And, you know, um, some Facebook friends have been posting some other uh, recipes using um, Irish whiskey, I think. And someone had like a creme brulee or a, a chocolate muffin, things yes. they were making for St. Patty's Day that also called for the um, Jameson's. And so if you have any of that left over, if you didn't buy the smaller bottle or Anyhow, had some left over. Those would be great places to look for some some ways to use that up. Yes, absolutely. And and you do use the whiskey in the whiskey sauce as well. And as they say in the recipe, the sauce is addictive. And you can have some leftover and you can use it for things like an Irish sundae and pour it over ice cream. So Did you try that? I haven't tried that yet. Have you? I have taken to just eating it with a spoon straight out of the <laughs> Tupperware. <laughs> I it is about truly addictive. Up. She's not joking about that. It's really good. Okay. I uh, thought about yeah. popping some into my coffee. Oh, why because, not? Um, I like cream. I like whiskey. I like salt. I like sugar. The only thing that's a little bizarre is kind of having butter in coffee. But no, isn't that that whole thing? That What's that called? It's That's called a whole bu- thing. bulletproof, right? Yeah, and and so regular bulletproof coffee is butter, coconut oil, and coffee, and you do it all in the Vitamix. And I love that. I love the flavor of it. I don't particularly like the mouth feel of butter in my coffee. It's all it's like too cloying, and so I'm not sure if I'm going to do that or not. I do still have the leftovers in the refrigerator, and so um hadn't tried it just straight with the spoon. Maybe it won't even need, <laughs> need to go into the coffee if I take care of it. I find no way. problem with mouth feel. Um, one thing I will notice is, or I did notice, is that when I had the leftovers and wanted to serve them hot again, uh, I microwaved that and it split. Car- the caramel split, and so that's oh. no problem. It doesn't mean anything's wrong. It's just you. You want to stir that kind of vigorously until it comes back together. And it will, and, okay. and onward you go. But don't be alarmed if that happens. That's kind of a natural separation, I guess, of the cream and the oil from the butter, I bet, is what's going yeah. on there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but I, I had really great results this. with this recipe as well. I, I cooked it according to instructions. Thanks for the heads up on the water bath. I've, I've now learned I actually add my hot water to the container in the oven. I've learned not to walk with a yes. um, you know, Pyrex casserole full of hot water. I've had too many yep. accidents that way. So that worked really well. Um, I did make the bread pudding earlier in the day. So the bread pudding itself wasn't warm by the time I served it, but mm-hmm. I the sauce was. And so I felt like that was just fine. And um, everyone who tried it gave it two thumbs up. So this is definitely one that's going to go into my repertoire as a keeper. 
I agree. I loved it. So we'll put that recipe up on preheatedpodcast.com, put a link to that recipe. Again, it's Cloda McKenna, and it was originally from Better Homes and Gardens magazine, September 2015. We'll also throw it up on Pinterest. And we hope that you are inspired to head to the liquor store and try this out with us. (laughs) Well, Andrea, we have come to our next entry into our Puddings and Custards Month. And this was one that's very dear to my heart. It's Southern Banana Pudding. We're trying a recipe from Angie, and her blog is Big Bear's Wife, bigbearswife.com. And there's a few interesting things about this pudding, which is why we, we chose it. But I wanted to back up a little bit and tell you about the first time I ever had banana pudding. Oh, okay. And the first time I ever had a banana pudding, of course, I grew up here in the Northwest and had never had it until I was a young adult when I was dining at none other than Elvis Presley's Memphis restaurant on Beale Street in Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, wow. And if we have any listeners out there from Tennessee or Memphis area who know, as far as I can tell, that restaurant has closed down. So RIP to Elvis Presley's Memphis. Uh, I was there with a girlfriend, and this was after college, and we ordered the banana pudding. Now, I had not had this, and I was delighted immediately. And I kept, the the server and I ended up having kind of this who's on first conversation about it. So I said to him, I love this. I didn't know there was cake in banana pudding. And he said, there's no cake in banana pudding, ma'am. And I said, look at this cake here in this banana pudding. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, there's no cake in banana pudding, ma'am. And meanwhile, my friend across the way is shooting me daggers like, you Yankee fool, like, (laughs) So what you didn't you know you didn't know the classic vanilla wafer. You didn't know what that was. I had no idea. I'm from the Northwest, so I thought it was oh. like the name banana pudding. I just really thought it was going to be you know pudding, and I understood there was whipping cream on top. But I and then so this the kind server he explained to me that you know there was the vanilla wafer, and it kind of gets a little spongy with the custard, mm-hmm. and then you know I but it was a revolutionary dessert, and I have loved it <laughs> ever since. Now the one that I normally make, Andrea, to keep our Elvis theme going, is from one of my very favorite cookbooks called Are You Lonesome Tonight? Elvis's Favorite Recipes. And I knew he, you know, a lot of times people talk about his peanut butter and banana sandwiches, that that was one of his favorites. Absolutely. But Elvis had a mandate that at Graceland, his home, uh, banana pudding always had to be prepared and in the fridge, like 24 hours, seven days a week. So... Well, if you're going to mandate something, I feel that a banana pudding mandate is okay. It's not going to hurt anyone. I would like to adopt anyone. that for my own fridge. You know, the bottle of champagne, we already know. Maybe a, maybe a casserole dish of banana pudding as well. Um, so oh. I've always had a, just a soft spot for banana pudding. And uh, the banana pudding that I make and that I was more familiar with is a layer of homemade pudding, a vanilla pudding, and then the vanilla wafers. And mine has used cream. Andrea, is that the, the like a whipping cream? Is that how you have made or eaten, eaten a banana pudding historically? You know, so I think my historical banana pudding was vanilla pudding from a Jello box. With sliced bananas? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I think I pretty much when I ever I had it, it was like at a family reunion slash barbecue kind of situation. Right. And I'm pretty sure my relatives that made it made it with vanilla wafers, jello vanilla pudding, sliced bananas, and probably Cool Whip on top. And that's definitely like the quick and dirty way to do that mm-hmm. for sure. This recipe that we are 
talking about from uh, Big Bear's wife is a homemade vanilla pudding. And then she does an interesting thing here, Andrea. She's going to roast the bananas ahead of time. And I have roasted bananas in the past because I make a roasted banana ice cream. So the flavor should intensify. I think that's what she's looking for here. It's just a pretty quick time in the in the oven. Then you're going to slice those up, layer it with your homemade custard, your Nilla wafers. And then the other more intriguing thing she does is instead of the whipping cream in between and on top, she puts a layer of meringue. So we have talked a couple times now about meringue. And the, the one thing on this recipe I would just warn folks after reading it through, she calls for toasting your meringue uh, when you're all said and done for six minutes at 425. And I think that's a little long. Um, meringue can turn from from white to burnt in just moments. So really just keep your eyes on that meringue the whole time. If it takes your oven six minutes, great. Um, I'm thinking mine is going to be done a little sooner than that. So just, yeah. a, just a cautionary tale on that final step there. But I'm really excited to try this one. Yeah, that's a really good heads up. Thank you for doing that because we do want people to bake along with us, um, but we would never want anyone to do a bunch of work and then, you know, have their final result not be what they were looking for. No, for sure. Yeah. All right. I can't wait to bake that one. We will post the links on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, on Facebook, on Pinterest, and we would love to see some of your photos and have you bake along with us. Absolutely. So we're going to quickly walk in to, what should we call this episode, Andrea? Kitchen wisdom? What Educational? Um, yeah. yeah. So, uh, like you know, a, a few weeks ago, I needed some whipping cream for a recipe, and I had a, an open carton in the back of my fridge, and I look at the date, and it was... It said sell by and it had it had had passed like about a week earlier. And I texted you and I said, would you still use this? And you said, absolutely. And it really got me thinking about all of these dates you see on everything from eggs to meat to crackers. Everything has a variety of dates. So what does that mean and what should you pay attention to? And can you ignore any of them? So I found a great FAQ on the USDA's website. And I will throw that up on a link on our Pinterest and then also on our our website. Um, come to find out, all of those dates are pretty meaningless. <laughs> <laughs> the only oh. one, the only one you should really pay attention to is if you are purchasing infant formula. That is no. the only product dating that is required by federal regulations and would not be safe to use after the date. But the rest are all voluntary by the manufacturer and really have more to do with kind of the the peak of flavor rather than any kind of food spoilage or anything else that might be going on. A lot of the dates also have to do with food inventory. So for the grocery stores themselves, how long they should put that on their shelves before they before they pull it off the shelves. But again, not for the consumer necessarily. So three kind of that you may have seen. Um, a best if used by or before date, and that indicates when the product will be of the best flavor or quality. It is not a purchase or safety date. The sell-by date tells the store how long to display the product. So again, that's an inventory. And the USDA once again says it is not a purchase or safety date. And a use-by date is the latest date recommended for use of the product while at peak quality. It is not a purchase or safety date except for that infant formula. So um, again, these are voluntary dates that you see there. And what you should do always is use your senses. You know, does it smell bad? Does it taste a little bad when you take a little, um, you know, bit on your finger? Does it smell bad? 
These are all things that will that will clue you in that that indeed it has spoiled somehow. But that date really, really means almost next to nothing. So. Well, I had a great opportunity to test this out actually last night um, because I was making something that used some heavy cream. And, um, you know, you mentioned that you had texted me a couple of weeks ago when you had the whole incident with heavy cream and said, would you, you know, you would ask me, would you use it if yeah. it was past the date? And I said, absolutely. And I think I had even added as long as there's no chunks in it, yeah. <laughs> which, you know, is really appetizing. But that piece of information is important because last night, night as I went to pour my heavy cream, and thank goodness I wasn't pouring it, you know, right into the container, but I was I was kind of pouring it into a separate thing, out came some chunks. Mm-hmm. So I looked at the date, and the date is still a week in the future. And so I definitely got nervous at that point, because I thought, okay, clearly it's um, still a week before the sell-by, and there's already chunks in it. Um, so I smelled it. It didn't smell bad. So I dipped my finger in it. It didn't taste bad. And I really needed the heavy cream for this particular recipe. Yeah. And I was warming it. Um, it was, you know, going to be cooked. So uh, I just pulled out my little handy-dandy um, strainer, and I poured the heavy cream through it. And so there were some chunks left in the strainer, but the rest of the cream went through. It tasted fine. The recipe turned out great. So I thought that was fascinating. I'm not sure what happened with it. It was an organic one. It was not ultra pasteurized. So maybe it was just kind of like, you know, the the that heavy layer of cream that forms at the top. You know, yeah, maybe it's just- almost like it's turning into butter, mm-hmm. right? And what I always do with my cream is I give it a really good shake. And so maybe that's just distributing any chunks that have been mm-hmm. have have formed. So maybe. yeah, yeah. But again, like nothing was wrong with it, and you nope. used it just fine. Yep, it, mm-hmm. it turned out just great. Now the flip side of that is one other incident I have. Um, I have a friend who's really good about always checking dates, and I have to admit I'm not so great about it. You know, if I move or clean my pantry, <laughs> you know, then I will definitely yes. look at dates. But otherwise, you know, especially things that are in cans or bags, um, you know, I just, the pantry items, I'm typically not looking at the dates. So I was over at a friend's house and we were baking and um, she went to grab some nuts and she pulled them from her freezer. And I said, oh, you keep your nuts in your freezer. And she said, oh, yes, they can go rancid so quickly. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, I use nuts all the time. I generally take them home. I put them in the big glass mason jars and they stay in my pantry. And we use them for recipes and snacks. And I've never had any go rancid. So I thought to myself, like, we just must be eating a lot of nuts. You know, we're just cranking through them. Well, then about a week after that incident, I had a recipe that called for hazelnuts. And I thought, that's not one I usually have. But I went in my pantry and sure enough, there they were. And so I thought, oh, perfect. You know, and I opened up my little glass jar. And of course, I have no idea what the date is because I take them out of the bag and I just put them in my own jars. And I start chopping up the hazelnuts and I immediately kind of detect a smell. (laughs) And I thought to myself, that's what's that? And so I popped a whole hazelnut into my mouth. And let me tell you, if you have ever wondered to yourself, I wonder if I'll know if a nut has gone rancid or not. Um, Yes. You're going to know. You will. It is not one of those things that you say, "Mm, maybe. I mean, I rushed over to the compost bin and had to spit this thing out. It was so gross. So now I know um, that maybe I should keep my nuts in the freezer. And I also have... 
that um, unfortunate experience, but it is a good learning experience that, yeah, you'll know if your nuts have gone rancid. And I think that's true for the oils, too. The hazelnut oils, the almond oils, I have some friends who keep those in the fridge as well for the same reason. Yeah, I keep mine in the fridge except for my walnuts. Or sorry, I keep them in the freezer except for my walnuts, which I keep in the fridge. Okay. I don't like them frozen as well, something about it. But I think it's also the, the oil content in the nut. Mm-hmm. And the oilier the nut, the quicker they can go bad. Oh, but okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, obviously, trust your senses. And if something tastes, feels, smells wrong to you, then toss it out, just as Andrea has, has yeah. clearly illustrated here. So, <laughs> Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get to the dishes. Join us next week as we wrap up our month of puddings and custards with the one and only creme brulee, which appears on both Stefan and my list of favorites. We'll also discuss some of our TNT, that's tried and true, recipes, the ones that never let us down. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, on Facebook and Pinterest, and download us on iTunes, where we'd love it if you subscribed to the show and gave us a review, both of which will help other people find us. Until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.